it's so beautiful out here. I agree. It is beautiful. It really is the garden state. I think New Jersey gets a bum rap. You know what's the worst? Indiana. <laughs> it, is, it is a terrible place. It is flat. It is ugly. <laughs> there is no good food. You know hey, stop. Me. Stop, 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 stop. Why? Stop. Just stop the car for one second. Just one minute. I'll be right back. What? We were driving along and I saw this bike wheel was just leaning up against that tree and I just felt like I had to do something, you know, it was ruining the landscape. I just wanted to do something good. <laughs> You're like a crazy litter vigilante. I know, I feel great. I just feel terrific. It's so cool. I want to do it. You should. I recommend it. You what? So stop the box. Perfect I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Yes. I'm going to get that box. Get it. You should do it. Get the box. <laughs> My name is Chris, and it's good to have you all here today. We are in this series called The Road, and uh, last week uh, there was some Zeppelin played, this week a little Willie Nelson, and next week I hear, but this is our secret, uh, I hear there's going to be some Bruce Springsteen next week, but uh, we're just having a good time uh, throughout this whole entire series, and uh, what we're looking at is kind of the foundations of a Christian life, and if you've missed week one or two or both weeks, or maybe you're a guest with us today, and so this is your first time here, I just want to encourage you to go on to renaissancechurch.org, click on messages, and uh, you can get caught up either uh, listening or watching the messages, just because every one of these weeks all tie in together. Uh, two weeks ago when we kicked off this uh, series, we looked at the Bible as kind of being your roadmap, your GPS to know God. And to know what God wants for you and from you. And there's just some practical tools that uh, we just wanted to give to all of you uh, to help you uh, kind of get into the Bible. Because I just simply, I want you reading the Bible. And I get that sometimes the Bible can be complicated. Sometimes you can bounce into different books or different chapters or different verses. And it takes a while to kind of navigate through kind of the culture in which it was written you know, thousands of years ago, and then make it uh, apply to today's culture. And so uh, one of those tools is this daily email, uh, the road email. And if you're not getting those, uh, just get signed up. You can go to our website. You can stop out to the guest center and get signed up. And it's just a simple way for you just to engage with the Bible daily. I mean, five, ten minutes is all, it's all it takes. And it just gets that rhythm uh, as part of your life as you know God, and know what God wants for you and from you. Last week we looked at prayer. And prayer is just simply having a conversation with God. And sometimes when you pray, you move God's hand. But more importantly, prayer is about God moving within you. And during this uh, the service last week, 
uh, right before I was getting ready to come up on stage, I actually was uh, going through some email because uh, usually I turn off my email during the weekend just because I really want to uh, turn off the kind of that tactical administrative side of my brain so I can really focus on the message. But last weekend, I was getting ready to go on vacation, and so I was multitasking all weekend trying to get my inbox cleared and all these task items uh, off my plate onto other people's plate, empowering them. And, uh, and so I was just uh, flying through a bunch of stuff, and an email came in from, from someone who uh, attended the 845 service. And uh, the, the subject line of the email uh, immediately caught my attention. The subject said this, so I race back to my computer, post your message. I'm like, okay, what did I say? What did I say wrong? <laughs> and so I started reading his email. And uh, let, me, let me preface this, that I asked for permission to read this email out loud. I don't want you to freak out thinking that if you send me an email that I'll just read it uh, without asking. But uh, he started his email this way, interesting message. Very thought-provoking. I'm like, okay, this is going to get good fast. Not to throw a wrench in your message, but for the skeptics out there, how do you handle the following? Post your description of John 14 and Matthew 21. And just to, if you weren't here last week, or uh, if you were here last week, you know we went through a lot of verses on prayer. John 14 uh, uh, said in verse 14, it says, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And Matthew 21 was a very similar verse that Jesus said, if you believe, you, re you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. You see, there's these verses in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, where, where it says, pray, ask, and you will receive. Pray, and it will be given to you. And so he's setting up this framework saying, okay, you talked about these two verses, but I got an issue. So here's his issue. Use example of non-monetary or physical want prayers to God. So he's saying, set aside all the selfish prayers. God, I want, God, I want, God, I want. So set those aside. What about huge prayers in God's name? For example, a prayer for a missionary dying of cancer to get well so he or she can continue to, to carry on their good works in his name. This is what I struggle with. Very smart people like you can always find an out in the Bible, very respectfully. This is my biggest struggle with the Bible. John 14 can't be clearer and is very easy to give a huge qualifier. My dad and I struggled with this question separately. How does God let 9-11 happen? Sorry to be so heavy right in the middle of, of a Sunday, but you get my point. I bet people in the Nick services will struggle with these issues as, as I do. Why do bad things happen to good people post massive prayer in his name. Now, I read through his email several times. And uh, it forced me to kind of pause a little bit. I mean, so much so that after the last service last, last Sunday, I pulled the team together. And I said, hey, I got this, I got this email from someone. This was a heartbeat of, kind of their, their issue, their question, the tension in their spiritual journey. I said, should we next weekend totally reframe the weekend service to address this question, this issue? We had a great discussion about it. I left the opera house last Sunday, and I headed home, and I had a few hours before we had a 
go to the airport, and I, I sat in my office at home, and I worked through it and worked through it, saying, God, do we just change the series? Do we add a week to the series? Do we address this issue? I sent out an email to some people and asked uh, a series of questions. I got feedback. I headed to the airport, still not sure what to do with this question, this issue. And right before I stepped on, on the plane, I was on the phone, and we just kind of decided that uh, we need to address this issue. But we didn't want to just give one weekend to it. Because we felt like, or I felt like, we could come in and spend one weekend, 30-minute message on this essential issue of why God. But we really wouldn't be able to get our arms around the whole subject matter because it's a pretty complicated issue. And for some of you, it's created the most amount of tension in your life. You see, for me personally, and some of you, a few of you know my story. I lost my son uh, years back after begging God for his life. Begging him out loud in the hospital room, asking for a miracle. And one of the biggest tensions in my spiritual journey has been around why God didn't you? God, why do you perform miracles for some people but not for me? God, why do you show up for some people when they ask you for a miracle? And there's a miracle, but not for me. God, why didn't you save my son? God, why didn't you show up? God, why didn't you, didn't you respond? God, why didn't you? You see, when I read his email, I knew exactly where he was at. And for some of you, you, you could write the same email. Maybe you left here last week going, great job, Chris. You danced around that one. Way to take the easy way out. So this is what we're going to do. Here in later spring, early summer, somewhere around May, June, we're trying to work it out. We're going to do a whole series around this one issue. Why God? Why, why God? Why, why do you answer some prayers but not all prayers? Why do you perform some miracles but not all miracles? God, why are you so active some, at some point in, in someone's life, in my life, in whoever's life, but other times it feels like you're so distant or you're silent? Why God? Let me be real transparent. I don't have a lot of good answers around this. How's that? You're like, wow, that's comforting. I don't. This is what I know. One day, I'm going to walk up to God in heaven. I'm going to say, hey, God, uh, do you have a couple centuries? Uh, I, I, got, I got some questions that I would like to uh, navigate with you. Uh, and you have the time, so let's sit down, have a cup of coffee, and talk. But this is what I've learned in my journey. After many moments of yelling and screaming, I'm talking out loud at God. Intense anger at God. Trying to understand why he shows up for some people but not for me. Why he heals some people but not my son. Why I asked and he was silent. Through anger, through pain, through bitterness, through intense spiritual tension. I'll tell you this. I know God in an entirely different way now. 
my relationship with God is deeper than it's ever been. There's still questions. There's still some anger in there. I'll tell you this. My relationship with God so much deeper, so much more transparent than it's ever been. I was thankful for his email on several fronts. One is uh, I think he surfaced something that maybe I uh, subconsciously was trying to avoid just interpersonally. But something that I know that, that some of you are dealing with right now, have dealt with. And so we're going to jump in, and we're, we'll, 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 we'll do our best. Uh, I'll do my best job taking a shot at trying to answer some of these questions. But what else excited me about his email is this. One of the things I always share, almost every weekend, I make some comment about just continue to move spiritually. Don't push pause. Don't sit back and throw up your hands and say, I don't know, and just get comfortable with where you find yourself spiritually. Keep moving. Keep asking questions. Keep working through the obstacles and the tension within your faith. Just keep moving, whatever you do. And what I love within his email, what I could sense was he's moving. He's working through a real issue with his spiritual journey. And that's what I want for you. Keep moving. Keep working. Keep asking questions. Keep having conversations with God. Whatever you do, don't don't push pause. Just don't. Don't rest. Keep moving. Well, this week and next weekend, we're going to look at the next two foundations of a Christian life. And all these five foundations are all essential, but I kind of separate out the first two weeks from this next two weeks. And then we'll discuss the last week on the last week. But the first two weeks, I, I kind of said, wherever you find yourself spiritually, these are important pieces of your spiritual journey. Read your Bible, know God, know what God wants for you and from you. Important. Prayer. Talk to God. Whether you believe in God or not, have a conversation. Whether you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, he came on this earth, walked this earth, died on a cross, conquered the grave, is now preparing a place for you, and he will come back one day. If you're not there yet spiritually, read your Bible and pray. Get to know God and have a conversation with him. That's important for all of you. But this week and next week, it's a little different. So if you find yourself, and you haven't what we call crossed that line of salvation, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you haven't turned and trusted Him, if you're not there yet, guess what? You can opt out. How's that? I mean, seriously, you can. You can listen to me. You can like, hey, those are some great thoughts. But you can personally go, I don't have to. That's great. Now, What does that mean for the rest of you? If you've crossed that line, if you've accepted Christ, guess what? You can't. You can't opt out. You might want to opt out. You might try to rationalize your way through it. But you can't opt out. Because the Bible is very clear. This is what happens when you are a Christ follower. When you accept Christ and he changes you from the inside out, this is what happens. This is what what is lived out in your life. You can't opt out. 
So today, we're going to look at the simple word serving or service. It's living out your faith. And the first place that, that, that kind of jumped into my, my, my head when I was thinking about this message was found in James chapter 2. Because James goes right at this tension between faith and deeds. Your faith living out in action. And he's going to be very direct as he kind of paints his picture of what he wants you to hold on to. And you can kind of tell as we make our way through James chapter 2, you can almost tell he's had this conversation many different times. He's had this conversations with large groups of people and small groups of people. He's had this conversation individually. He's had this conversation where people has come at him. He's had this conversation with people that he's gone to saying, hey, I don't see your faith being lived out. So you're just going to be able to tell that this is something that he's had to lead through at a very uh, deep level and with a lot of strength in his words. Okay, so he's going to jump in. It says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Okay, two questions, very important questions. That's going to kind of frame uh, what he's going to teach. Can someone have faith but not live it out? Is, is that even possible for someone to turn and trust Christ, to have faith? Faith gives you the ability to turn from your ways and to trust Jesus Christ. Can someone have faith but not live it out? Can they have faith without deeds? And he gets even to that second question, when he specifically says, can such faith save them? Now, this is a very important moment. Because I kind of want to give you the end thought now as we make our way through it. Because for some of you, you've been taught, you've assumed, maybe you heard somewhere, maybe a church you went to, maybe a preacher, who knows, but maybe you have this thinking that has rolled through your spirit that you have to earn God's favor. For some of you, you're, you're tired because you think that you have to do something to receive God's love. That you have to do something to receive God's forgiveness. You have to do something to receive his grace. And so you, you spend countless hours and you kind of give this, like, tally marks. Like, oh, I made that bad decision. Oh, I got to do something over here. Oh, I, I sinned there. I got to do this. Oh, this addiction popped up. I got to. And you find yourself going back and forth, trying to earn your way into heaven. I spent the week at Disney World, the happiest place on earth, minus after a 15-hour day with two kids. But it was happy until that point. But at Disney, right, they give you a fast pass, which is a great invention, especially when you're tired of waiting in lines. And for some of you, you literally, your spiritual journey has been trying to earn a fast pass. So you do, 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 trying to earn your way into heaven. And this is not what James is going to say. And it's not what the Bible says. Faith saves you. Faith. Christ did everything for you. His death on the cross was the gift. The gift's been extended to you. All you have to do is receive. That's all you have to do. But yet the Bible does paint this picture. 
that your faith will live itself out. It has to. And this is what James wants to tell you. He goes on, he gives this example. He goes, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes. Literally, without clothes means that that person is completely naked. I mean, they're not standing in front of you with boxers and a t-shirt on. They're, they're naked, okay? Suppose they're naked, without clothes, and without daily food. And this isn't that they're just hungry. They're starving. And not in the six-year-old definition of starving, right? They just ate lunch 30 minutes later. later I'm starving. You're like, you can't be starving. James is literally saying, no, this person is naked and they're starving. And they're standing in front of you. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Kind of that go in peace line. We bring it into kind of this culture 2,000 years later is kind of what, what sometimes we do. We say to someone, oh, I'll pray for you. And James is saying, what if someone's standing in front of you, they're naked, a little awkward, but you get the point. They're naked and they're starving. And you just say to them, oh, man, that's, that's tough. I'll pray for you. It's like, you, that's ridiculous. How in the world could you not act? How in the world could you not live it out? And he gets right to his point. He gets right to his point, verse 17. He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. If your faith isn't being lived out, if your faith doesn't have action, then your faith is pointless. Now, you might think that's a pretty strong statement. James is going to take it one step further. So he's going to kind of come at it from another approach, another angle. He's going to kind of give some philosophy around this entire thought. Listen to what he says. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Fine. I just inserted the word fine. Fine, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So he's taking this philosophical approach, because I'm sure he had good-hearted Christians, Christ followers, come up to him and say, oh, whoa, whoa, time out, James. I, I, I get this, uh, this thing about, you know, I, I should live out my faith, but I'm busy, I have kids, I have activities, my job is, is demanding, I have all this stress. But my faith is alive. I believe in Jesus Christ. I have turned and have trusted him. So I'll let my faith shine and, and other people, James, you can. You can live it out. James is like, okay, let's, let's, let's just pause in that moment. Try to show me your faith by doing nothing. Go for it. I'm timing you. James, I can't. 
Again, we as human beings are so amazing at trying to rationalize away things, aren't we? It's like you can't rationalize that away. People will see your faith by what you do. It's as simple and as clear as that. At this point, you can almost feel James's frustration and tension around this issue. Because I'm sure he was just tired of coming back at it and coming back at it and coming back at it. Going, why don't you get this? Why don't you understand this? That if you have faith, it's always lived out. It's just lived out. You can't help yourself but live it out. And so he takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> Listen to his directness. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Fine. You want to go there? The demons believe in God. And probably the demons know more about God than you know about God. Because if you knew something about God, you would understand that your faith is lived out. You can't help yourself. The faith that is dwelling within you must be lived out. He goes, the demons even believe in one God. But their actions don't reflect that. Their actions are uh, the exact opposite of who God is. Then he says this, you foolish person. James, he must be from the northeast. You foolish person. And I'm sure at that moment, he has someone's name in his mind. He's like, yeah, I know exactly who I'm talking to. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And then James tells two stories about two people found in the Old Testament. The first one he told was, was, was about Abraham. And right when he started into the story about Abraham, the entire Jewish audience would have leaned in because this is Father Abraham, the person that God came to and said, you will be the father of all my people. The Jewish nation would come out of Abraham. It's a person that God said to Abraham, your descendants would be as numerous as stars. So J James starts into the story. Because you remember Abraham. Of course, they're like, yeah, James, we know Abraham. Because you remember that moment when God comes to Abraham and says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, you know your son? And Abraham's like, yeah, my only son. It took us decades to finally have Isaac. Because, yeah, I get, I have my son. It took a lot of effort to get Isaac. God's like, I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him. And you read this story and you just wonder how much time kind of expired of Abraham's like, wait, did I hear you right? Yeah, yeah, sacrifice him. God, you mean Isaac? Yeah. You mean my son? Yeah, Abraham. I want you to go sacrifice your son. You, you, you mean, God, the son that took us decades to have? Yep, that son. But, but God, you've promised that my descendants would be as numerous as the stars, which means I need to have kids for that to happen. God's like, yeah, start with Isaac, kill him. 
So Abraham grabs his son, grabs some wood, grabs a knife, and God says, go to the mountain, I will show you. Abraham makes his way. Along the way, his son looks up at his dad, and man, as a parent, you can just imagine this moment. The son looks up at his dad, and Isaac says, hey, 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 dad, where's the sacrifice? Where's the animal? I mean, it's kind of a cool journey that I get to do this with you, pops, but don't we need an animal to make a sacrifice? And Abraham replies, hey, Isaac, God will provide. God will provide. God shows them the mountain. They make their way up the mountain. They start building the altar. And I can just imagine Abraham in this moment saying, hey, God, really, I get your point. Show up. Hey, God, there has to be a different ending to the story. Hey, God, I, I, I trust you. I'm on the mountain. I'm stacking stones. I get it. God didn't say anything. They take the wood and they lay the wood on top of the stone altar. And I'm sure Abraham's still going, okay, God, no, really. This is getting serious. God was silent. Then Abraham takes his son and puts his son on the altar. And it says that he took the knife from Isaac's hand. And he's just about ready to sacrifice his son. And God says, out. Abraham, I wanted to see your faith in action. Were you willing to trust me with everything and what's most precious to you? And there, the covenant was sealed. That was a moment where God said, okay, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. So James tells this one story. And again, people were le leaning in going, yeah, but, but James, that's Abraham. I mean, God's way up there and Abraham's really close to God. I mean, we're not even close to Abraham. We're not that spiritual. We're not that holy. That's Father Abraham, the patriarch. So James tells a second story. He goes, do you remember Jericho? And they'd all be leaning in. Yeah, we, we remember Jericho. And do you remember Jericho? And there's this lady who had just heard about this God, this God of the heavens and of the earth, this one true God. And one night, she heard about these spies from God's chosen people. And she went to them, and she took them, and by faith, she hid them. They're like, yeah, we remember that story. And James says, do you remember what her occupation was? She was a prostitute. She, patriarch and prostitute. You're somewhere in between those two extremes. You're somewhere in there. He goes, faith without deeds is dead. Your faith must be lived out. So he says, ending, verse 26, as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. 
So where do you find yourself today? Maybe for you, you find yourself and your spiritual journey looks more like this. Where your deeds, you've been trying to earn God's favor. And you're tired. You feel like you can never kind of catch up with God. You're trying to earn his forgiveness, earn his favor, earn his love, earn his grace. And you've just been working, 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 trying. And I just say to you, you can't do enough good things to earn God's forgiveness, earn his love, earn his grace, because it's already been given to you. It's already been extended to you. It's been done for you. So if you find yourself there, just lean back, take a breath, and realize God can't love you any more than he already does right now. God can't forgive you any more than he already has by his son dying on the cross. Receive it. Accept it. Find joy in it. For some of you, it's the opposite. You find yourself as part of the audience that James was talking to. You're sitting there going, Chris, I, I believe. I've turned and I've trusted. But if you know my schedule, if you know the amount of stress that's on me at work, if you understood uh, the, the number of kids I have and all their activities, I'm just so busy. I don't have any extra time. You see, I think those are the same excuses that James was bumping into 2,000 years ago. That's why people were saying, well, yeah, some have faith and some has, have deeds. I have the faith thing. James, you go and you find a group of people that have a little extra time, that aren't as stressed, that do not have as many kids. And you guys can do the action side. We'll take care of the faith side. James like, no, 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 no. You can't separate out the two. You can't. Your faith and your deeds must look like that. Your action must live out from your faith. See, in 1 John, it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but it has no pity on them. How can, they, they, how can the love of God be in that person? He goes on in verse 18. He says, dear, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. Mother Teresa simply framed it this way. Faith and action is love, and love and action is service. See, what we see when you go back to the book of Acts and Jesus, kind of his last charge to this group of Christ followers, to the early church, he said, go, live out your faith, put your faith in action. And what we see with the early church is them going, them giving to people as they have. 
People had needs, they extended and said, we'll help you with those needs. People that needed food, they fed people, they clothed people, they helped the widows and the orphans. They went into their cities, in their communities, in their culture, and they started changing their culture from their inside out by putting their faith in action. And see, what God understands is this. Because of our sinful nature, we're selfish individuals. We, we just are. We think about our needs, our issues, our problems. We have this tendency of going inward. And God understands this. As we focus outwardly, as we focus on other people, it doesn't make our issues, our problems, our concerns go away. But it does shrink them some, doesn't it? When you start looking outside of yourself to other people, how you can help them, it kind of just shrinks our issues a bit. Again, it doesn't, doesn't shove them away. See, that was the power of the early church. It was giving to people in need. It was love and action. You know, Paul to this letter to uh, a church in uh, Galatia. This is what he wrote to them. Let us not become weary. And what I don't want you to hear today, because I get that so many of you are so busy. I get that. I'm moving at mock speeds. I feel like I, I, I need about 28, 28 hours a day. My kids are in all these different activities and sports and dance and music and musical practice all over the place. It's like, how much more can I give? I, I don't know if I have any more room. And Paul's just saying, hey, hey, let's not grow weary. But he's going to extend this thought in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He goes, hey, just don't get weary of doing good. Just don't get weary. I know you're doing a lot. Keep going. Because this earth, this time, it's temporary. Heaven's forever. So I get that some of you are sitting there going, I, I'm just not sure if I have anything more to give. And I would just encourage you by saying, guess what? God will give you the capacity. God will give you the capacity because guess what? It's a natural outpouring of the faith that's within you. He goes on and says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I listened to a message a while back, and this pastor fray, uh, framed this verse this way, and I love how he said it. He says, Do for one what you can't do for everyone. You see, sometimes when we talk about serving the poor and giving to those in need and, and helping our community and helping those around us, we kind of get paralyzed because there's so much need and there's kind of this internal kind of feeling of like, I can't save every child. I can't feed every person. I can't clothe every person. I can't give clean water to everyone. I can't help all these needs. And we get paralyzed. Do for one that you can't do for everyone. What if every Christ follower in the world did for one? Think about that. 
What if every Christ follower in the world did for one? And the everyone would be, be cared for, wouldn't it? I've been blown away here at Renaissance. I, I think about back in uh, September, we had a team of people that uh, discovered that uh, we have kids coming to school in our local community that were hungry. And I witnessed this church, Renaissance, come together and bring in bags and boxes of food, canned food, boxes of food, bags of food to feed kids that are literally coming to our schools hungry. I think back to Hurricane Sandy and the movement of people to help serve people in need. I sat in a meeting the week before Christmas with a, a group of community leaders. It was the mayor of Summit and the chief of police and some other officials. And uh, this one lady starts sharing this story about how blown away she was because people from Renaissance Church showed up at the, the middle school, the junior high school, with boxes of sack lunches for people. She doesn't even go to Renaissance. I don't know what she thinks of church. I don't know what she believes about God. But I remember sitting there, she shared this story about just being overwhelmed by the generosity and the kindness of people here. I think about the group of people that uh, came together to uh, help us deliver and get gifts for kids that are part of, the, part of DIFUS, part of the system. And so many of you purchased gifts. Think about all the little Christmas trees that were written on so that people could go out and buy specific gifts for kids. See, that's, that's faith in action. We don't do those things as a church because it makes us feel good. Now, does it make you feel good? Yeah, it's, it's a great feeling to help people, but it's not why we do it. We do it because we're compelled to do it. Christ has called us to do it. That's what living out your faith is all about. It's helping people in need. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to step in and serve. I mean, there, there's places outside of Renaissance that you can serve, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But there's places within Re Renaissance, and we got teams of people all, all over the place serving. It's quite amazing. We got people on our tech team uh, that, that give up time every weekend uh, to serve. And if, if that's something you want to do, it's, it's an awesome area because they have a lot of, like, gadgets and stuff that you can push buttons. It's awesome back there. And uh, you really have complete control back there because they can just flip one switch and everything turns off. It's amazing. And... Uh, uh, we have people serving in our student ministry area. Our students are off at camp this weekend, and uh, those stories are going to be uh, uh, inspiring when they come back. We have people serving in our kitchen, all over the place. But two areas I want to highlight. One is our first impressions team. It's, it's the people that are down on the sidewalk, whether it's rainy, snowy, or sunny. It's the people that are at the doors, smiling and greeting. It's the people that serve at our, our guest center. You see, this is what I know. People within the first eight minutes of walking onto our patio will make a decision whether or not they'll ever come back. Eight minutes. They'll make up their mind. 
mean, that's, that's usually before they've even heard the band, heard the music, heard the message. They'll make up their mind. It's one of our most important teams. And so maybe for you, a step of service is for you just to, to, to join our, our, our first impressions team. And this is how simple it is. All you have to do to qualify for a first impressions team is to be able to smile. That's amazing. If you can't smile, uh, I'm sure there's some YouTube classes that you can take to learn how to smile. You just, you just have to be nice to people. You just have to smile at people. You just have to be there to answer the questions. Because here's what I know. Every single person in this room today has walked into Renaissance for the very first time at some point. At some point, you were a guest. At some time, you, you, you committed to three flights of stairs to walk into this place. And think about that experience as you walked in here and you weren't sure what this place was. You weren't sure what this church is about. You weren't sure. Even if you had friends or family members saying, no, you'll love it. You weren't sure, and you walked in for the very first time. One of our most important teams on the weekend is our first impressions team. Man, jump on. We, we need just people smiling, engaging with people, creating a great first impression. The second area I want to highlight is our children's ministry. If you're a parent, you understand this. To drop your kids off to a new place, to strangers, is an overwhelming moment unless your kid was screaming to church that morning. Now you're trying to give your kid away. <laughs> but it's an overwhelming moment. And we have this amazing children's environment. I, my kids so, so love their church that they want to come to multiple services. You know what I have to do? And I'm, I'm the pastor. I have to like restrict my kids from coming to church. I'm like, you can't go four services every weekend. Like, you're going to get burned out on church. I say that, and I'm like, that sounds so ridiculous. Can you get burned out on church? Like, I don't know. My kids love church. They love their church. You know what they love? They love walking into a place where they're loved, they're accepted. Where great adults just bring them in and make them feel safe, and they learn. They learn amazing things. We need some people in our children's ministry. And you might be sitting to yourself going, oh, Chris, if you'd see me with kids, that's not me. Great. Stand out in the main area and interact with a parent who's there for the very first time dropping off their kids. You can do that. So after service today, we've made it real easy. Go out to our guest center. Beth and Becky will be standing there, and they just want to talk with you. Maybe there's a different area, or maybe there's an area that, that you see here at Renaissance that uh, maybe you don't think uh, we're, we've been able to uh, get into that area yet to serve. You know, uh, we just want people living out their faith. And so talk with them. Uh, they'll get you uh, connected to a team. Uh, you can also go on our website, renaissancechurch.org, and you can click the big Help Wanted banner and jump in. But here's what else I know. This week, God's going to kind of tap you on the shoulder. There's going to be a text message. There's going to be an email. There's going to be something. Phone call. And there's going to be a need. And God's going to say, yep, now, this is the moment. This is the moment. And let me just warn you. Probably, it will be extremely inconvenient for you. You're going to have your to-do list. You're going to have your tasks. You're going to have your time 
You're going to have all those rationalizations. And I'm just going to tell you, God's going to say, no, 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 now is the time. Now this is the time for you to live out your faith. Now is the time. So the question is, when he kind of taps you on your shoulder and says, there it is, what are you going to do? I'm going to end with this email I got this last fall. I'm humbled to play a small part in this effort. Thanks for letting me be a small part of it. These children have it so hard. The smile this will bring to them is very special and almost incomprehensible. You mentioned a blessing below. The blessing is what Renaissance has been to me and my family. The Renaissance has brought peace and spirituality to my life that just did not exist. My sacrifice, as you put it, is no sacrifice at all. I get more out of giving than anyone will ever know. I am grateful and humbled to just be part of Renaissance community. If you even knew half of what goes on in and around my life, you would understand why this is all so special to me. You see, here's what God knows. When you live out your faith, when you live out your faith, there's a blessing in return. So live it out this week. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together. Lord, I pray that there will be faith in action this week. Not because we have time. And even at moments, not because we want to. But it's what we're compelled to do. In your name I pray. Amen. Stop back, talk with Beth and Becky. Have a great week.